Ephesians 4:10-16. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some priests and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then there, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now Luke 19, 11 to 26. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten miners, and told them, Engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. As he re- At his return, having received authority to be king, he summoned those servants he gave the money to, so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came and said, Master, your miner has earned ten ten more miners. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you had been faithful in a very small manner, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your miner had five more miners. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your miner. I have kept it safe in a cloth, because I was afraid of you, since you are a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit, and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit, and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put the money in the bank? The mat when I... Uh, And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. May God bless this reading. We started last week a a new sermon series called A Study in Spiritual Gifts, and it is taking us up to, I think it's the middle of October, um, during which there'll be a leadership retreat for anyone who is a leader or would like to be a leader, who would like to consider being a leader. We'll get together, we'll do a personality profile and a spiritual gifts assessment, just to sort of get a better sense 
of our individual callings and how God has called us all together to be this church and therefore what he is calling us to do as a united body. So that's where we're going with all this. But to start uh, the topic today, I want to ask you, is it okay to be a jerk if you get things done? Is it okay? Well, Walter Isaacson is a legendary biographer who is books about Steve Jobs, Albert Einstein, Benjamin Franklin, and Leonardo da Vinci. Two years ago, he began shadowing Elon Musk. It was all authorized. It's all good. But he said, I started off with a guy who was one of the most popular people on the planet and ended up with a guy who's the most controversial. There is no doubt Elon Musk is an exemplary human. He has done more to advance electric vehicle technology than any other company. He has placed rockets in space when NASA cannot even get astronauts into orbit anymore. He has built a network of satellites that has brought the internet to people in isolated regions of our planet. And he is working to protect humanity against the dangers of artificial intelligence. However, as Isaacson's biography reveals, Musk is impulsive dark, a risk-taker, with varied personalities and demons racing around in his head and in his life. He purchased X, the social media app formerly known as Twitter, and seems intent on using it to utter hurtful comments in the early hours of the morning and to publish questionable views to the public. Now, Musk is a successful innovator, an accomplished engineer, and a driven CEO who often pushes his people to the brink and beyond. This results in amazing advancements while also leaving a trail of broken people and relationships behind him. So Musk can be a jerk, but he is a jerk who accomplishes great things. Is that okay? Well, I do not think being a jerk is acceptable because while Musk has been gifted with a keen intellect, with powers of persuasion and innovation, with resources beyond the imagination of ordinary people, he uses those gifts at the expense of the people and systems around him. His sense of purpose should not... um, be achieved at the expense of his responsibility to be a good person. Humanity will continue to do perfectly well without his technologies. We are each provided all that is needful for life and for godliness. Every one of our lives is purposeful, for we have been called to God's purpose. And the gifts of our Creator that He has given to us, they are not primarily for our own benefit, but for the benefit of those around us, be it our family, our friends, our neighborhood, and most especially for building up the church. We each have a responsibility to use the gifts we have been given and to fulfill the appointments to which we are called. We are not meant to do this alone. Those God calls are equipped with the enabling power of God's Spirit to carry out their appointed tasks. And there are many examples in the Old Testament of the Lord appointing people to function within the community of his people. 
The prophecy of Jeremiah provides an example of the Lord appointing a person to a specific function. We read, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. See, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, directed by inspiration of God to proclaim the Lord's will, which included delivering warnings, judgment, and other exhortations. So Jeremiah was appointed to be a prophet. Another example is found in the first book of Samuel, uh, where is described the Lord appointing kings in ancient Israel. Kirli, please. I think we're going to have to use that. Um, The Lord said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. So we see in this passage that the Lord God called and appointed the first king over Israel. Turned out to be a bad choice, but Saul was the Lord's choice nevertheless, even though he failed to live up to the call. So prophets and kings were important roles that bound ancient Israel together as a nation, a nation under God, or not, if those prophets and kings failed in their responsibilities, if they failed to live up to their calling. While we wonder at the appointing of Saul as king, even more controversially, the Lord appointed a foreign king in the life of ancient Judah. The Lord says this to Cyrus, his anointed, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors before him, and even city gates will not be shut. So to teach his people a lesson, the Lord allowed them to be exiled by foreign powers, first the Assyrian, then the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus, also known as Cyrus the Great, he was king of Persia around about 559 to 529 B.C., He became the Lord over Judah when he conquered Babylon, which had been ruling Judah around about 539 B.C. So the prophecy of Isaiah here reveals that this foreign king was himself called by the Lord to restore Judah at the end of their exile. Indeed, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Not only does the Lord call and appoint people to particular functions as leaders, even prophets and kings, he equips them for those roles. It is written, the Lord replied to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man who has has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. See, when a man or woman is called by the Lord to fulfill a function, he equips them with all they need for that rule. In Joshua's case, he did not just put up his hand and say, I will do it. He was appointed and then equipped through the laying on of hands by Moses. In this passage from the book of Numbers, we learn that most especially and generously, The Lord fills with the Holy Spirit those he calls, that they might execute their function with his power, not just their own. Next. God empowers leaders and he empowers kings with his spirit. 
So important is it that calling and equipping go together that an important example in the Old Testament was the prophesied Messiah, of whom it is written, This is my servant. I will strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. See, the Lord did not leave the people to chart their own way in this fallen world, but called leaders at all levels to lead his people, prophets as well as kings. And as we shall see, these servants are themselves gifts. Having called prophets and kings, the Lord God equipped them with the Holy Spirit, for they could not fulfill the function and the role to which they were called without his power. Even the promised Messiah, who would conquer sin and death, did not do so in his own strength. This servant of the Lord, too, was appointed and equipped with the Holy Spirit, else he could not fulfill the responsibility to which he was called. We are thankful for this testimony and these examples found in the Old Testament of our scriptures. But then in the New Testament we see this same pattern. Christ Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. As such, he too was filled with the Holy Spirit. As it is written, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So everyone who is called and appointed by the Lord is endowed with the Holy Spirit, no less so than Jesus Christ himself. Why should we then think our, that we could fulfill our responsibilities in our lives without the Holy Spirit? Not only was Christ Jesus, the promised Messiah, filled with the Holy Spirit, so too were the apostles, for they had an important function in the early church. It is is written, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Could the apostles have taken up the mission of Christ Jesus without the help of the Holy Spirit? They were certainly called, and they were certainly appointed to the task, but their track record was not exactly stellar by this point. No, in addition to whatever time, talents, and resources they brought to the task, the apostles, too, needed the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they could fulfill their responsibility. And that same process of calling and equipping, anointing and pointing and gifting continues in the church that grew out of the ministry of the apostles. As it is written, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Christ Jesus continues to give to the church by appointing people to step up and into a wide variety of roles in his church. Most notably, the roles of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. 
There is a perceptive story told of Heinrich Hein, the German poet, who is standing with a friend before the cathedral of Amiens in France. Tell me, Heinrich, he said to his friend, why can't people build piles like this anymore? My dear friend, replied Hein, in those days people had convictions. We moderns have opinions, and it takes more than an opinion to build a Gothic cathedral. Indeed, it takes the Holy Spirit to build the church of God. There are indeed many functions within the church, yet unity is preserved when these appointments are filled appropriately, executed responsibly. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts of all of these functions, they're equal. That men and women are called to these roles, among other roles, is a grace. It is an unmerited favor of our Lord to the one called and equipped. Nevertheless, the choice is not arbitrary. Whoever the Lord calls and appoints to these roles in the church, all Christians appointed are, are appointed for the purpose of building up the church. For we are told, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the power working, um, by the proper working of each individual part. So how might we learn the wisdom of the Lord if no one teaches us? How might we come together as a spiritual family if no one pastors us? How might we respond to the good news of Jesus if no one shares this word with us? In other words, evangelizes. How might we be challenged to reconsider our sinful ways and systems if no one calls us out? In other words, prophesies. How might the strongholds be broken and new territory claimed if no one ventures into new lands and opportunities? In other words, acts as an apostle. See, these functions within the church are essential for there to be a local church. Yet whatever our calling, to whatever we are appointed, it is a great responsibility to participate in building up the church that the kingdom might expand in the hearts and minds of the lost, the least, the last, and the lonely. An example of a local church fulfilling its calling is St. Episcopal Church in Richmond, Virginia, a place of ministry in Christ's name. In its urban setting, St. Paul's lives to heal the broken, bring hope to the despairing, be a place of warm fellowship, and reconcile the difficult issues which are so much a part of city life. The parish understands itself as a servant church, the human face of God. Service to others is strengthened by the breaking of bread, the preaching of the word, and the prayers of the people, all pointing toward Jesus, the Word made flesh, who dwells with his joyous community until the end of time. 
So from the example of this church, we can see how the internal ministry blends with the outreach, its mission. And not one person can fulfill all those roles, but it is a community working together, pastoring and caring for each other, but also serving the lost outside its doors to create a sanctuary in the midst of its city. Oh, that we might be a church like this. But all this talk of prophets and kings, apostles, evangelists, and pastors make it easy to come to the faulty reasoning that only official roles are spiritual gifts. While these are perhaps the more noticeable and the more often promoted, and they are essential, but the experience of spiritual gifts is much more holistic than When we place our faith in Jesus and begin to live a Christian lifestyle, turning our life and will over to the Holy Spirit, we begin to imagine and see how we might channel our time, our talents, our resources and gifts toward fulfilling our purpose than fulfilling the purpose. How might our purpose fulfill the purpose? And more often than not, though, we need the Holy Spirit to break through our distraction. We get stuck on our purpose and what we can do to fulfill our uh, stirrings and passions, forgetting that whatever our purpose is, it is always in service of the greater purpose of God. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, the gift of the Holy Spirit is associated with the laying on of hands. As it is written, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So we find in this scripture, Paul the Apostle writing to his mentee, Timothy, to keep his calling active. His spiritual gift, which he received at the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands is a symbolic act where elders in a community put their hands on a purpose in whom they have discerned the call and appointment of God. The laying on of hands is a powerful act of recognizing the will of God in a person's life. The gift of the Holy Spirit is also often associated with prayer and fasting. We read, when they appointed elders... Um, for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In this verse is described Paul the Apostle and his team appointing elders to communities they planted in the ancient Middle East. These appointments were so significant and the choice so important that the apostle and his team and the new communities backed up their prayer with fasting. Their intensity in seeking the will of the Lord was signified through equally intense prayer. Spiritual gifts and appointments are so significant that they must be treated with care and wisdom. Indeed, it behooves every friend Jesus, every member of our church, to take seriously the identification of our gifts that we might not neglect them, that we might take note of what we have to offer to our community, to discern what function or role the Lord might be calling us each to, whether to an official role or to a less celebrated function. All is required for the building up of our church 
and for the building up of the church. Let us not neglect our spiritual gifts. As it is written, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Every member of this church has a purpose to fulfill in building up this church. That this church might build up the church and extend the kingdom of God by extending salvation to the last, the least, the lost, and the loaning. It is not only the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers who matter, but it is the elders and the deacons and the administration team, the welcomers and the production, the service and the prayer presiders, the music team and the readers, the hospitality and the cleanup, the forge and connect group leaders. Everyone matters and every function matters. If one person neglects their spiritual gift, the whole family of faith suffers. So let us therefore encourage and equip each other. Let us pray and fast for each other. Let us lay on hands for each other and to take our responsibilities seriously. Let us work together for the common good and for the honor of our God, to whom be praise forever and ever. And if this too is your prayer, then why don't you join with us in song as we surrender all.